Amelia Ampuero. I am Danielle Robertson. And uh, as you can probably tell, we are already missing the dulcet baritone tones of one Scotty Milder. Uh, so this is a Weirdest Thing podcast, not the Weirdest Thing podcast. I'm going to let Scotty talk about it when he comes back, but he's had some stuff going on. And so Danielle is stepping in as pinch hitter to be my co-host this week. Welcome back, Danielle. Think, hey, this isn't about Scotty being gone. This is about right. me being here. Or we're yeah. compartmentalizing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think anybody was going to take that as like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> please like, don't wow, come for Danielle in the comments. Yeah, yeah please don't. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's been a while. It's been a minute. Scotty. Yeah, you did a episode with Scotty while I was in Abingdon. Oh. Uh, shout out to our Abingdon listeners. Hi, friends. Um, yes, thank you so much for doing that. And now you're back with me. I'm super excited. I, Let's so get. Fun. It's been, you know, uh, I was about to say it's been a sausage fest, which it has not. Almost all of Scotty's, I think all of Scotty's special guest hosts were also female identifying. Oh. So. Okay. Which is super cool, but you're here with me today. I'm excited to see this lady on lady podcasting host action. <laughs> hashtag lady on lady. That's going to get so many hits. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag lady on lady cool. action. You fucking perverts. Okay. Um. So yeah. So Danielle is stepping in at the last minute. And so we don't have like a research episode for you today, but we're going to talk about some, some stuff. Danielle, do you kind of want to like give an introduction to what we're doing? Sure. So two days ago, I get a phone <laughs> call from Amelia. Mm -hmm. And when you get a phone call from Amelia, someone who never calls, always texts like sheer panic so oh, shit. Like, hey, sorry <laughs> um, what's up and very you know amelia is great and then just was like hey scotty's not available for the podcast do you want to step in and then you know then the i like do i have time to research something if i wanted to be like a the weirdest thing and not a weirdest thing and then just for the sake of the audience we wanted to give you something that felt a little more fleshed out than me slapping it together something in two days yeah so we had this idea and me and Amelia, Amelia is the artistic director of Duke City Repertory Theater and I am yes. a resident company member of yes, that you are. company and we are fast approaching one of the most exciting things that we do in our season and are having auditions this Saturday for Bard Crawl, which yeah. is Shakespeare in breweries. Yeah. So we're feeling Shakespearean and wanted yeah. to do something kind of along those lines. <laughs> yeah, kind of along those lines. Like we were like, should we do like a Shakespeare? And we were like, that's going to be research. And this is all like, like Danielle said, this is all kind of coming down at the last minute. I had my research ready for my story. Listeners, you will get that story eventually. So, you know, don't worry, fear not. But two days is not really enough time to do research. Part of the reason why Scotty and I moved to once every two weeks with the episodes is because it takes a minute to do the research for this. And Danielle, you know that because you yeah, did yeah. research for one of them. Yeah, it takes a sec. It would be like if you went into a class and your teacher was like, hey, book report due in 48 hours. And you'd be yeah. like, 
wait, then I have to read a book and then I have to like think about the book and then I have to summarize the book. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So since we are approaching Bard Crawl, what Danielle and I are going to do today is we're going to talk about two Shakespearean inspired movies of the teen movie genre. We're going to talk about 10 Things I Hate About You and She's the Man. Oh my gosh. It I seems people just got really excited. People are like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> I hope so too. So let's go in chronological order. Yeah. So let's start with 10 things I hate about you. And um, not how to lose a guy in 10 days. And I just if if I say it, if I say it, I am so sorry. I've been struggling the past 48 hours on how to lose a guy in 10 days. No. What is it? 10 things I hate about you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Um, let's just get a nice clean recording of you saying 10 things I hate about you right now. 10 things I hate about you. Fantastic. And then we'll fix that in post. Um, Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> if it comes up. Okay. So yeah, 10 things I hate about you. It was released in 1999, loosely based on Taming of the Shrew. And not um, the Tempest. Again, I've been just having it. <laughs> I've been having a real time with this one. <laughs> How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, loosely based on The Tempest, Matthew McConaughey as What's His Butt? Yeah, anyway. Kate right. Hudson as Miranda. Yeah. Um, awesome. Okay, so now that we know what movie we're in, Danielle, do you want to give a little synopsis of 10 Things I Hate About You? Yes. Okay, so Bianca, played by Julia Stiles, is... Nope, Cat, played by Julia Stiles. <laughs> We're off to the races. Let's just, like, dub over everything. The whole thing's going to be like, Bianca, played by whatever. Okay, yes. Cat, played by Julia Stiles, is mm-hmm. the older sister of Bianca, played by... You're going to have to pronounce her last name for me. Let me see. Yeah. She was The Secret World of Alex Mack. Do you remember that show? I do not. Uh, Her name is Larissa. I'm going to say Oyelnik. Oyelnik. Olniak. Olniak. O-L-E-Y-N-I-K. Olniak. I like it. We've butchered it. We're very sorry. Yes. So they are they are sisters and Kat, the older sister, mm-hmm. has sworn off dating and men and is kind of like goes against the grain kind of gal and wants to be the kind of gal that doesn't do what people expect her to do. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't fall into like the typical tropes of high school, which in and of itself is kind of a trope of high school. But it, right. people kind of get into that. Right. And Bianca is like the girl who wants to experience the full high school thing, wants to date boys and wants to like be known for being cute and nice and favorable yeah um but the the dad hasn't put a rule on the family that bianca cannot date until cat dates yes and i guess we are led to believe that the dad is in obstetrics because he talks a lot about delivering like babies of 15 year old girls and that their father you should have listened to their fathers yeah listen to their father and Bianca being like young and favorable, a lot of people do want to date her. So mm-hmm. they kind of set up this plan to pay somebody to date Kat. So in turn, once Kat starts dating, Bianca could start dating. Yes. And one of her suitors is Cameron, played by just a George- baby-faced George- <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt. 
Oh my gosh. Just he such... looks young even for high school. I'm like, he... should he go? Should he be here? And then he and okay, so we've got Julia Stiles playing the cat character, the the yeah. quote unquote shrew. We've got Larissa playing Bianca, Kat's favorable younger sister. She has that whole line of she's like, I happen to I happen to like being adored. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Then Joseph Gordon-Levitt is one of Bianca's suitors, as is Andrew Keegan, just Joey. playing. Yeah, Joey, just playing a first-class dipshit douche. Oh, he's the worst. He's the worst. The worst. The worst. And then... And I'm, I think this was one of his first movies. We have Heath Ledger taking the Petruchio role. Um, he plays, his character's Patrick. name is Patrick Verona. Just really, there's a lot of like, hey guys, this is based on a Shakespeare show. So you've got remember. Patrick. Yeah, remember, remember the source material. So you've got Patrick Verona, which is where... Is that where the original? No, because the name of the school is Padua, Padua, uh-huh, which yeah. is where I think it took. Taming. Yes, was where taming took place. Uh, we'll come back to the Verona thing. I think Petruchio is from Verona. I think that's the thing. Okay. He's like traveling. Yes. Well, because yeah, I think like the thing is that he comes to Padua. Yeah, because he's like this new thing. Like Petruchio is this new guy in town. Yeah, which is kind of the same vibes as Heath Ledger's character in the movie. Right. He's like there from the beginning. I do kind of wish that they had thrown that in like, oh, halfway through the year he comes in. But I guess he like transferred over the summer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he there's a lot of rumors around him. He's a bad boy. You can see him like, you know, smoking, uh, lighting things on fire. Um, (laughs) Wearing not. Yeah. He's like not a preppy. Um, so clearly, clearly a bad boy. Cat also is in fine late nineties alt girl form. Um, yes, a lot of you know, camo. A lot of camo, random braids in the hair. You know, she listens to Bikini Kill and that kind of that kind of stuff. Let letters to Cleo, letters to Cleo making a couple of fantastic appearances as well. Yeah, um, and then we've got a whole other cast of characters. We've got Gabrielle Union showing up as Bianca's best. Friend, we're going to put that in quotations because maybe we'll get to that later. We have Allison Janney playing the horny school counselor. I guess she well, writes erotica. I thought it and- was like the principal. I feel like she had a lot of like, because do we ever meet like who's running this place? I, I mean, she's the closest we get to she's it, I, I guess. Yeah, uh, we've got Larry Miller playing Cat and Bianca's dad, uh, Daryl Mitchell playing Mr. Morgan, the like lit teacher, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Mr. Morgan. Yes. Shout out to Mr. Morgan. Susan May Pratt, who she's been in a ton of stuff, but you might know her the best as the snooty, nasty ballerina with an eating disorder from the iconic center stage. Yes. And then we also have, where is he? David Crumholtz. Is that the, the elf from the Santa Claus? I think so. The guy who's Cameron's friend. Yeah. He's like, we're going to do this whole thing. Yeah. 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 So he's in there as well. And, you know, there's there's some other people, but that's our like main cast of characters in there. It's actually like a pretty small cast when you think about it. Yeah. So Cameron is Cameron arrives. He's also a transfer student. He arrives at school on his first day, lays eyes on Bianca, quotes taming when he sees her. I burn, I pine, I perish. Not uh, seamlessly either. They really shoehorn that line. 
yeah they're like like, yeah 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 so he sees her and he's immediately made friends with david krumholtz's character michael and michael's like that's 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 a non-starter like one she's out of your league and two her dad has this crazy rule that she can't date until her sister dates so cameron and michael decide okay well we'll just get somebody to date cat and they rope joey andrew keegan's character into it because joey is a fashion model like a catalog fashion model um and so he's got money so they kind of go around the thing by getting joey to pay patrick to take cat out on some dates and try to woo her essentially so that everybody can get with bianca who Patrick, I think, kind of fairly states is without, as he says in the movie. I know everybody is after your sister, but she's without. So Taming of the Shrew is a problematic play. It's one of Shakespeare's. So there's problem plays that Shakespeare has, which are like, hmm, like there's plot holes or there's hmm. Taming of the Shrew is one of his more like, I think, modernly considered problem plays because it's very easy, I think, to take that play and to be like, this is about a guy who treats a woman like shit, tricks her into marrying him. And then at the end, it ends with her basically having this whole speech about how like women should be subservient to their husbands. And so a lot of people are like that, like, how do you, how do you reconcile that in a modern world? Um, I don't really see a whole lot of people trying to do taming. And I think that's probably why there's not a lens that you can apply to the play that makes it that takes away that story because that's so much of it. Right. And the thing is, is that I have seen and I've seen this play a lot. I have seen one version that made it make sense to me. And it was I'm about to bring out my Shakespeare cred here. Um yeah. But when I was in college, I did a study abroad program with the Royal Shakespeare Company. We spent two weeks in Stratford-upon-Avon, and they were doing Taming of the Shrew in rep with The Tamer Tamed, which is a sequel that was written uh, maybe like 15 years after Taming. And in that, Kate has died, so Petruchio is a widower, and his new wife, Mariah, is basically like, get your shit together or you don't get to get with this. And so it's sort of like a quote unquote, a reversed taming, but not really. But in the production that I saw at the RSC, they leaned very heavily. You find out at the beginning of Taming of the Shrew that Petruchio is in Padua because his father has just died. And the version I saw leaned very heavily on Petruchio being somebody who was like, adrift and unmoored in his grief at losing this very large father figure and that the ghost of his father and all of the things that Petruchio's father taught him about how to be a man and how to run a household and how to do all those things is like looming constantly over Petruchio. So what you got in that version was somebody who was trying desperately to live up to the ideals that had been instilled by his father while also Mm -hmm. trying to come to terms with the fact that he did not believe those things himself. And then in Kate, you had 
a misfit. Like she was somebody who, I think I spent a long time with Taming of the Shrew being like, I don't understand that play. I don't understand that play. It doesn't resonate with me. I think now at the age I'm at now, I think it resonates with me more because I think what's going on with Kate is that she is struggling with the labels that society has put on her. I don't know that, I don't think she sees herself as somebody who is a shrew. I think that she's like, I don't know. I like, everybody keeps telling me that this is what I am. And I know that I'm not like Bianca, but I don't know who, like, I don't really know who I am. So what you ended up having was these two like misfits. Yeah. And if we had like four hours to talk about it, I would go further in depth into how they make the end make sense and everything, but it did. But that is the only time I have seen that play make sense. And I think the only reason they were able to arrive at that is because all of the actors especially the actors who played Kate and Petruchio dove into that text. They didn't just read it at one go and be like, this is about an abusive guy. And like this docile girl who is like, oh, you're my best chance at, you know, being married, which is, I think kind of what everybody else does, Yeah, you know, no shade to other product, a little bit of shade to other productions. You should dig deeper. Um, Yeah. And like, and you know, just ask yourself why you want to do taming in this day and age. And I think, like exactly that you know and Stratford upon Avon that's kind of a different league of theater just in general like in terms of I think of the the care that they put into the work that they do yeah (laughs) they wouldn't just do taming for the sake of doing taming because it is Shakespearean now without being very deliberate and clear about the lens that they were applying to it and I think Mm -hmm. that's very cool because I mean we are talking about kids like literal kids (laughs) yeah (laughs) falling in love with all of that stuff and I think that's a that's a really interesting take on it and I'd yeah. be interested to see it I wouldn't be interested to see it any other way yeah ever. and I think and I think that was also the cool thing too is that Petruchio and Kate were also very clearly like you know they were probably around my age like it was clear that it was like Petruchio had a little bit of like Peter Pan syndrome and he was like okay but my dad has died and like now I need to I need to man up and I need to be the man and I need, and like, this is how I do this. And that's what I've always been told. And, you know, and like, that doesn't, it didn't, it didn't take away any of, you know, Petruchio does some shit and he is a bit of a shit and it didn't take away from that. It was just like, Hey, there might be a deeper reason to this. So there's that. How do we feel that 10 things I hate about you holds up to the story and the themes of Taming of the Shrew and is it more successful than Taming of the Shrew in portraying those themes? That is a wonderful question. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I think part of me, I I don't, watching this movie two days ago, I don't have a clear memory of ever watching it like top to bottom growing up. Uh-huh. I was like, I know that this movie existed and I know like it was really popular amongst like the girls that I was close to. And I probably saw it on the TV. Like I have two older sisters. I'm sure it was on at some point. Right. I remember people really clinging to some of these ideas that were in the movie, but I couldn't remember it. So I'm watching it two days ago and I was like, oh man. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was actually a little hard to watch. That one was, was a, it was, it was hard to watch. Yeah. Um, what, what about it? Like, wh- what about it stuck out to you as being hard to watch? Well, I mean, I think there is this thing where Kat in this movie needs to be checked in a lot of ways because like all of the wonderful things that you're saying about Kate and Taming of the Shrew and that one 
portrayal. Mm-hmm. Like it was very clearly written that Kat is deliberately and like very consciously being difficult. Like not just and not just being difficult, but being unlikable and being kind of cruel in a lot of ways. Like she's mm-hmm. not kind. No. Um, she's not a kind person. There's there's not a whole lot that's redeemable about her because there is just so much like intentional prickliness that it just makes it really hard to like want good things for her. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I think like any teenage movie kind of falls into the things of like, you know, these dynamics are not, they're not safe and they're not healthy. (laughs) And especially like the portrayal of them in the 90s, like all of it just felt really icky to me. Yeah, I think it's really, it's an interesting thing to go back and to watch movies. I mean, from even like a decade ago. And this one being, you know, coming out in 1999, there is a lot of stuff. There are a lot of words that are used that would not fly today. Oh, man. Yes. Yep. Just there very... was one that I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we don't say that. In yeah, this we, family. we don't then, say that. We don't say call that. It out. Nobody calls it out. And it's insane. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it's just dropped if it's and I'm assuming we're probably thinking of the same one, but it's just dropped as like, and I can say being a kid of the 90s, that is absolutely how it was back then. There were a lot of words that were just dropped and said, and that really wasn't a thing that people were like, mm, maybe we shouldn't say that. Say that. Uh, yeah. until, until later. Additionally, there's also some stuff that you're like, you know, like Allison Janney's character, whether she is the principal or the guidance counselor, writing erotica clearly and like not hiding it very well that she is writing like dirty, dirty. like, <laughs> yeah, like supermarket erotica. There's a lot of like throbbing member, milky thighs. And she's like writing this kind of openly like, at and her then there's desk. that one part where Heath Ledger's like, it was a bratwurst. And she's like, oh, you think highly of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you were not, you were not allowed to talk to your students that way. The part where Kat flashes. Yes. The coach. Uh, so, Which is strangely enough something that we also see in She's the Man. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, reasons, but- yeah. And this is something like, uh, like, let's get you, let's get your hot take on this. There is, I, okay. Let, let me be clear here that I'm like pedophiles are going to pedophile, right? Like, I'm not saying that this is the reason why, but I have been wondering for a little while if media is maybe not being a little irresponsible in the, like the quickness that there is to portray the sex lives of teenagers and the fact is, is that almost always those teenagers are portrayed by actors who are beyond their teen years. They're usually above the age of consent and all of that stuff. But I wonder if that, like, I see the sexualizing of, like, you know, Disney stars like Selena Gomez and, you know, Jenna Ortega is dealing with it right now. But people that are like, you know, got famous when they were teens and there is very much a thing of like, oh, I can't wait till she turns 18. And it's like... Are we adding to that by like really actively showing the sex lives of teenagers in media? I just wonder about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely something to ask. And I do think there's like this thing where if it was because I think like sex education does that in a really, you know, like there are ways to talk about the sex lives of the show (laughs) sex education, not sex education as like a global theme. Yes, on Netflix, if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend. And I think because there's this thing because we start feeling sexual things 
very early, like before, you know, right. it is cool. Right, right. <laughs> for adults to care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think there's a way to do it. But I do think that there's this thing, especially in this particular movie, where the adults in the movie are also talking about it in a way that's not helpful. And they're also involved in it in a way that's not helpful. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Like, get out of it. like you don't be- like you shouldn't be <laughs> yes like cat why are you flashing your soccer coach to get patrick out of detention and soccer coach why like why do you like his gaze allow. is yeah why do you allow it and why are you like it is nothing but problematic to have the coach kind of be like, well, this is shocking, but those are not like the, there, you know, his reaction is not one of like inappropriate, your sh- yeah, inappropriate, but you're in detention now, put your shirt down. What the fuck are you doing? So it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I agree with you. And this is the funny thing is that when I went back to watch it, I really had the recollection that Kat had, okay, I guess also like spoiler alert for a movie that's like 24 years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess like skip ahead, but you find out the reason why Kat is so prickly and it's because she had dated Joey in her like freshman year, I think she says, and she had sex with him because it's what everybody was doing. And then afterwards he pressured, he was like trying to pressure her to do it again. Yeah, she, he, well, she had just kind of vowed that she wasn't going to do anything because everybody else was doing it or that it was expected of her. Right. But why was she like, oh, I'm not going to do this again? And it it feels like it was like, because he, he wanted to and she didn't, didn't or... Yeah, well, I think she like checked herself of like, this is why I did it. I didn't do it because it was fun for me and I don't want to do it that way again. And he was a real jerk. And Bianca was like, well, why hasn't he told people? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, well, because I was going to tell the entire cheerleading squad how small his penis was. Yes. It was also like... When, you know, look. Cool. What? Yeah. <laughs> Which, but I get, you know, it feels very, it feels, I think the movie feels very high school. It feels now as adult women, you and I can be like, it's actually not that big of a deal. Um, Like the penis thing. It's not like, it's not really that big of a deal. But I realized when I went back to watch it that I thought that the reason that she was like, fuck this, fuck you is because I thought there was like a much, I want to be careful about how I phrase this, but I felt like there was like more trauma around what had happened with her and Joey. And that was the thing that had kind of like, she was like, never again, I'm going to harden myself to the world and I'm never going to allow like something like that to happen to me again. So when she's like, yeah, we slept together and I didn't really do it because I wanted to do it. I did it because everybody else was doing it. I was like, oh, my memory of that was different. And I don't know if it's because I had that in my head, but I was sort of like, I mean, absolutely. Don't do anything that you don't want to do. Yeah. But you're like like a real bitch. A lot of people (laughs) for like since that happened. Yeah. Like you're like. I'm not sure that's a good enough reason. Like. Yeah. And it was a thing where it was like, I don't think she was ever forced to or like pressured to. She had made the decision like, oh, everybody else is doing it. I will also do it. Mm -hmm. I am, you know, I am a consenting individual in this yes. encounter and then she was like yuck <laughs> and then just started being mean to everybody yeah and it was like i'm gonna listen to like you know like girl grunge music uh if scotty was here he'd be like it's actually not girl grunge he'd probably have the right thing but you're not here scotty so i hope he, I hope he does like insert a clip of him being like no what they are listening to is is i mean if she's listening to bikini kill then it would be riot girl <laughs> x y and z 
But it's like, you know, I'm also going to say that like girls out there who enjoy expressing, you know, their gender identity in sort of quote traditional ways that they fucking suck. And that, you know, it just became all the stuff that I was just like, this is a lot. Like you could 100% be like, hey man, I'm not going to do this stuff and I'm not going to be pressured to do anything. And I'm really going to take these formative years to figure out who I am and like kind of chart my own path without being like a dick. Yeah. She's a real dick. She is. Yeah. She's a real dick. Props to Mr. Morgan. Cause like right off the top, I'm like, okay. Cause this (laughs) teacher checks her immediately of like, oh, I am so sorry that your life in the suburbs have been so hard. Let's see if we can get some black authors up in here. Like I'm teaching lit and it has to all be white people. Like he immediately, I don't fucking care about like, no, he's checking, he's checking everybody. He checks like upper middle class, white check checks, upper middle class joey and his stupid modeling career he checks the white rastafarians Rastafarians. (laughs) he's like don't even get me started on you guys and they're like (laughs) sorry yeah they uh yeah yeah there was a lot of stuff when i was watching this movie that i was like Huh. Yeah. Huh. But I do think one of the things that does help it make a bit more sense in this is that Kat and Patrick are both sort of these like outsiders, these like kind of social misfits. Um, And that there is a, even though it's based at first on some deception, these are two people who have both kind of been like, like we have decided to chart our own course and to do the things that we like and and like the things that we like and that has made us sort of outcasts it's also very interesting to see the dichotomy that's presented right because you have patrick who again is is essentially the male version of cat kind of an outsider kind of grunge all that kind of stuff and the rumors that swirl about him mm-hmm. and they're all you know oh he was in jail he was in porn he like stuff he that ate a dove what is this? what is, <laughs> is that a dove he ate a duck it was something like that duck. i think he ate a duck yeah yeah but it's all stuff that's very like yeah yeah he's he's like a, he's a like a big manly scary man who's like still in high school and it's all stuff to sort of be like feared but also admired whereas cats stuff and like similar rumors swirl around her all of her stuff is is the things that make her undesirable and yeah like they stay away from patrick because he's scary and they stay away from cat because she's undesirable yeah um which is you know i don't know how much they meant for that to happen but it's like it's also a nice little again a nice little glimpse into late 90s like gender roles yes yeah yeah Let's quickly talk about Kat's iconic dance scene at the party. I know. She saved the last dance in that one. You know, she's Is that how she got saved the last dance? In fact, how she She got saved. That white girl can kind of (laughs) move. Look at those limbs. All points and angles (laughs) let's get that into a dance movie (laughs) yeah it's i just don't anyway i wasn't there (laughs) i I wanted to 
something that is there something in taming that mirrors that and i guess i was watching because i had never like i kind of know taming mm -hmm. read it probably two decades ago right had to read the synopsis for this and i was wondering like i would love for shakespeare to take this moment and to see what it could be in his mind is there any moment that is like and then kate lets loose i am <laughs> trying to a dinner party to, and she, no 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 nothing. no so that's no just like the high school I, okay. I think so yeah I think it was and the thing like you know the part which is I think probably like what they were like well we'll take that out and we'll replace it with this the part in taming like they get married Petruchio shows up like late I think he also shows up drunk he shows like he's like like on a bender he's like out of his mind at the wedding um so it's like not a nice wedding he takes off with Kate and he's like now we're going back to my house and that is this is another part of the play that people have a lot of problems with is that he um he basically gaslights her and he does this thing of like he's I guess like trying to sort of train her and in doing that you know it's a lot of like the sky is blue no the sky is not blue and she's like oh my god okay the sky is not blue and he withholds food from her yeah uh until she's until she basically like says what he wants her to say oh. and agrees with him and that's why I was like is that is like is that what this is supposed to be but I don't think it is it's not it doesn't match up so I think that they were like we well, we can't have Patrick abuse Kat so maybe we'll just make her like get on a table and dance at the party like I don't know yeah because yeah. they do really make Patrick a decent guy like he's a decent guy right yeah he's misunderstood but doesn't really care does his own thing yeah he takes the offer to get paid to date her but very quickly is like no I kind of like her man yeah I'm not gonna do that so we get to see him be really decent she doesn't know that though right and then right. like the dropping of that information that makes him terrible in her eyes but we already know as audience we know that he's like there's really no reason for me to say no i didn't know her personally like and first off joey first off offers him 20 dollars to do this yes and he's supposed to be wealthy i'm like okay that is not enough money yeah we learn we learn a lot about joey we learn that he has a small penis we learn that he does not value the working class um we learn we learn that women are absolutely interchangeable to him he is happy to sleep with cat and then go for bianca and then quickly dump bianca for charity chastity chastity, chastity. yes that's right which is also funny um yeah we learn a lot about joey yeah but he does he offers him 20 dollars to do it and like I, again i went to high school in the 90s and 20 dollars was cool but it wasn't like 20 dollars i will abandon my moral code for 20 dollars yeah. now I, yeah i can pay for mom's surgery now yeah it's not it wasn't a lot of money yeah but he pretty like he, he like i feel like patrick pretty quickly like you said is like i don't know I kind of like this chick yep. she's a pain in the ass but she's cool and you know there's that sweet scene when they're at the paintball course <laughs> arena yes uh yeah and they have that like very sweet little date and everything but it's just like <laughs> he does kind of tackle her ass at one point he like, does he <laughs> i'm like oh that was that was in him for a while he was yeah. like what can i tackle her <laughs> yes Perfect. yeah yeah and then you know then of course we have the famous scene so okay hold up so they do that patrick they have like this really cute date out at the paintball 
arena. They come back. Patrick is like, go to prom with me. Kat's like, why? And he's like, because I think it'd be fun and it'd be whatever. And he's like, because nobody would expect us to. And all of a sudden she's like, what? She finally like does go to prom with him. And it is there that it is revealed that Joey was paying Patrick to take her out. And she's like, this is bullshit. And then I think like the next school day is when we have the famous 10 Things I Hate About You sonnet, which <laughs> which just a little bit of trivia was filmed in one take. Julia Stiles was not supposed to cry, but ended up crying. And that was that was apparently the first and only take of that scene. Danielle is unimpressed. Oh, I think that poem is absolute garbage. <laughs> I think it is one of the most trite pieces of writing yeah i mean yes uh, but also probably what i would have written in high school you are a better writer than i am so but i probably would have written that in there but the assignment was right to write your version of this sonnet Mm -hmm. which by the way mr morgan raps for everybody yeah (laughs) yeah yes you just got to but yeah it does feel like i just i just really hate that poem that she delivers i really Mm. i hate it so i I feel like I feel like you're coming down pretty hard on not team 10 things I hate about you. Oh, yeah. I I will probably never watch that movie again. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to talk about. I feel like we're going to have more to talk about with She's the Man. (laughs) I think so, too. But, you know, and I think it is a thing where, like, it was a fine... Okay. I will say that I did like that there was a character in 10 Things I Hate About You that was like in love with William Shakespeare. I thought uh-huh. that was a fun little Easter egg. I want to call her Maureen, but that's because that's her character's that's name. Her, name. <laughs> her, although well, you're not far off. Her name is Mandela? Mandela? Oh, Mandela. Huh. I don't know. We'll go with Maureen. Okay. <laughs> Cat's um, best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, it was a fine movie. I think Heath Ledger does. I I can see why people would have watched that and been like, we need to do more with him. Yes. Because, yeah, I think he... Th- okay, so th- there was one thing that I wanted to bring up. So there's the part after they go to that party and Cat gets all messed up and throws up or whatever. Yes. And then she tries to kiss Patrick. Uh-huh. And Patrick is like, maybe we shouldn't. And then she gets really mad at him. Yes. Is there anything in the in the Tempest, God damn it, in Taming of the Shrew, where like that kind of thing happens? Again, I don't think so. But it has also been a minute since I read Taming. If we have any Shakespeare scholars, I guess drop us drop us a note in the comments. But yeah, I don't. I think that's the thing. Like I think as we like transition into She's the Man, I think Ten Things I Hate About You is like. An outcast, like kind of like a bad boy, sisters, taming, taming of the shrew. There we go. That's it. Like it feels very loosely based. It took like a couple of major plot points, but Patrick is very different than Petruchio. Yeah, there's like a couple of similarities, but it's it's built around a very loose framework that somewhat bears a resemblance to Taming of the Shrew. Whereas She's the Man actually is like pretty darn close. And I guess if we're ready to, we can we can move into it. it. A bit of trivia. uh, One of the screenwriters of 10 Things I Hate About You was also one of the screenwriters on She's the Man. Interesting. Yep. I found that fascinating because in my head, they're completely different. They're completely different movies, right? Uh, I think it's Karen McCullough. Yeah, I love that they that they credit William Shakespeare as one of the writers for 10 Things I Hate About You. 
loosely I pine. I perish. There we go. Yeah. You know what, bitches? But Shakespeare is in the fucking public domain. So you don't even need to credit that motherfucker. Um, we all know that that's yes. not how teenagers speak. Let's pause real quick before we go into this, uh, before we go into She's the Man, to ask... Because there's, I feel like people have a lot of feelings about Shakespeare and a lot of feelings about whether or not we should continue to do the works of William Shakespeare as a white man who has been dead for, you know, 400 years. How do you feel about the works of William Shakespeare? I, I love William Shakespeare. I know. And me I too. Think, I'm fucking yeah, nerd. I mean, and like come for me because I don't know, for <laughs> me, there's this thing, like I think there has been a lot of work to detach Shakespeare from like normal society. Mm. But when you find now that he was really just writing for like the drunk people and he was making fun of like the aristocracy, like he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't doing, I don't know. For me, it was a thing that like people like, oh, and then his plays became like things that only like the court could go see. And I was like, that was you. That was you that made that. That wasn't a Shakespeare thing. Shakespeare yeah. never wanted it to be that way. No. Like, you've created all the separation between his work and the people. Right. And that was never his intention. He wrote for. He wrote you. for everybody. He, yeah. Like he knew that, you know, the court was going to be there. He also wrote for the drunkards and the sex workers that he knew were going to be in the audience. And I don't know, man. I just feel like, you know, you and I have now done, you and I have now done five Shakespeare plays together. Yeah. So we've cool. done all three of the Bard Crawls, which are Twelfth Night, which we'll get to, we'll get back to in a second, Love's Labor's Lost, uh, Romeo and Juliet. And then you and I also did All's Well That Ends Well and uh, Hamlet. Yeah. So we, we were, we're in the Shakespeare trenches. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't know. There's something about doing Shakespeare that for me kind of like always, there's always a, an aspect of a Shakespeare play that I'm like this perfectly describes this particular aspect of the human condition that yeah. I've never heard it said anywhere else in this way yeah. that I can understand it so clearly I think that's the thing people are like Shakespeare is hard to understand and I was like man if you just give it a chance if you just kind of like let yourself like feel what he's going for it may yeah. actually provide some nuance and some depth to the things that you felt yesterday the things that you'll feel tomorrow like yeah is, he's not talking about things that happened like love he's talking about love and he's talking about the urgency of wanting to live and like what does that mean right and like that's something that still exists and will exist forever and i think like he belongs in the here and now if he's done properly yeah well and i think that's the other thing too right is that like i think a lot of the reason that shakespeare gets a lot of hate is because Oh, because it's just done so badly. Like, it's just, it's just done so, so badly. Uh, I could absolutely get on a soapbox and do a whole dissertation <laughs> uh, about this, but it's just, it's, you know, you were saying it's like Shakespeare didn't do that. You did that. And it's the people who came afterwards with an aim to really like create distance between, and I use this phrase a lot when I'm talking about Shakespeare, but like the hot, like blood and guts of what he writes about. I mean, even with this line, right, that we keep poking fun at in 10 Things I Hate About You, but I burn, I pine, I perish is like, I mean, I know I've been there in yeah. terms of like seeing somebody that it's just like, I am. I am like, changed. Like, yeah, like seeing this person has altered my atoms, has altered my molecules and my cells. And like, 
to see them and not be with them completely sets everything like on fire. I might um, as well die, right? I might yeah. as well die. I might as well die. And even just the thing of like, you know, again, I burn, I pine, I perish. I don't know. As somebody who I feel like sometimes my feelings are too big for people. <laughs> Like, I think that's one of the things that I really connect to with Shakespeare's language is that I'm like, I, again, I have felt that this thing of like, I want you so badly. I am so enamored with you that I, I, I burn, I pine and I will perish if this doesn't happen. You know, I think of, I think of, you know, Romeo's speech in Romeo and Juliet, you know, comparing Juliet and the sun and the moon and like all of it. It's, it's like, there's nothing little, there's nothing small and meaningless. Like all of it is live or die. And yes, absolutely. There are absolutely, absolutely problems. The guy wrote plays in a completely different world than the one that we live in now. But I think to, I think people, I think a lot of times people who hate Shakespeare, it is a reaction to being alienated by seeing Shakespeare or experiencing Shakespeare in a way that was not made for everybody, but was made for, like you said, that, that, that court, that ruling class. Yeah. And I think like yeah. we make fun of that line in 10 things I hate about you. <laughs> I burn, I pine, I perish because of its placement. Like, yes. <laughs> right. And I'm sure that's the placement of where it lands in taming, you know, like Cameron, what is the character's name that he's based on? Cause it is oh. Bianca. I, yes, yeah, I, like, I think it's, I th I can't remember if it's Lucien, Lucentio or, oh, hold on, keep talking. Okay, but I'm sure like at that moment when that character sees Bianca in Taming, that's when that line comes. But mm -hmm. in the context, because it, it's kind of like this Clueless kind of intro, right? Like from Clueless where she's giving the tour and is like, these are the burnouts and these are the whatevers and these yeah. are the whatevers. And these are the, you know, <laughs> the upper echelon. These are the people that are going to get MBAs and whatever. Yes. And then Bianca shows up. And like, after all of that, that is when Cameron is like, I burn, I pine, I perish. And that's yeah. kind of how he says it. I burn, I pine, I perish. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> well, and it's also, she's talking about like her, what is it? She's talking about like her Steve Madden shoes versus her Prada bag. Like it's a very shallow introduction to Bianca as well. It's and sometimes I just think that if Shakespeare saw that, he's like, that's not what it, that's not what I meant. That's so not what I meant. <laughs> not what I meant. <laughs> no, no. You saw a cute girl your first day at high school. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little different. Burning, nor are you pining, nor are you. Nor perishing. are you perishing. No, you are. Nor are you in danger of any of those things. I might perish. Yes. Due to this, awesome. Okay, well, you know, I'm sure we'll continue to touch on those themes as we move into. She's the man. <laughs> oh I my goodness! A good time watching this movie. I'm not gonna lie. She's the man is a comfort watch for me. Like if I'm sick. Where I'm like, I'm in a man mood, like I will 100% throw on this movie. And it is not without problems. Uh, no, I'm going like, to tell oh, you man. that much. It yeah. was one of those that like in 10 things I hate about you, the problems would show up and I'd be like, typical. Yep. <laughs> problems would show up and she's the man and I'd be like, damn it. I really wanted this one to be without flaws. You know, right. I wanted this one to just kind of get through because it's fun to watch. Because it is fun to watch. Um, So the movie came out in 2006, stars Amanda Bynes, a hot off the presses Channing Tatum. Literally, he'd done a Mountain Dew commercial at this point. Yes. How cute. I know. 
who else do we have in here? Laura Ramsey, David Cross is. <laughs> oh my God, David Cross. Headmaster of the so school. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I think those are kind of all of the names that you'd know. Julie Haggerty, if you're old school, you'll know who she is. Vinnie Jones uh, plays the soccer coach. But everybody else is kind of a no name. It was really like an Amanda Bynes vehicle. And the story is that Amanda Bynes plays, uh, hold on, should we, should we give a rundown of 12th night first and then move into the synopsis? Because this okay. one has to do a very good job of being like, this is the person from Shakespeare. This is their track. Yes. Right? So, okay. Yeah. So, so I'm going to go, I'm going to start it. Yeah. I'm going to start it and you supplement as I go on. We'll okay. real quickly go through 12th night. 12th night begins with the shipwreck. <laughs> uh, Viola is shipwrecked on this island and she is alone. She, I think her father has just died, right? And she gets shipwrecked on this island, which is, what is the, it doesn't, we'll find it. We'll, we'll go back to that in a sec. Illyria. This is Illyria lady. Illyria. That's what it is. Yes. She gets shipwrecked on, uh, she's doing a trip on a ship. Uh, the boat sinks and she gets sloshed onto the shores of Illyria. Is that uh, one of the teams and she's the man? That's what I'm thinking. I think that, I think that's, that's why I was I like, think- what? A, Cause I think so. Um, okay. I think the school is Illyria. Oh, right. Yes. So she washes up on the shores of of this land called Illyria and she's like, oh, well, I cannot be a woman on my own here. It's not safe for me to do that. So I am going to dress as, I think she's a eunuch. I think she dresses as a eunuch in the play. And she meets Duke Orsino, who is the Duke, and becomes his sort of like, I don't know, kind of like a little, like a footman, like a manservant. And Orsino is in love with a woman named Olivia, who is also in mourning and basically is like, yo, when, hold up, when Olivia is like, or sorry, when Viola is like, I need to, I can't be here as a woman, I need to dress as a man, she takes on this persona of Cesario. So Duke is like, Cesario, go and woo Olivia for me because I'm really in love with her, but she doesn't love me. So Viola, as Cesario, goes to Olivia and is like, yo, what's up? I'm here to woo you. for the duke and olivia's like cool 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 i actually like you you're so hot hot." then her twin brother sebastian or her brother sebastian i don't know if they're actually twins her brother sebastian also shows up later and then there's a whole you know mistaken identity thing that happens there's also the whole side story with sir toby and Sir Andrew and Mariah and Malvolio and all that stuff. Uh, you know, that's, again, don't get me wrong. I love Shakespeare. I always think his B plots in the comedies are a little iffy because I've done that play. I've seen that play and I'm still not quite sure what Sir Toby and Andrew and Mariah and Malvolio are like doing. Um, they just kind of like live in the house, right? And then yeah, and like stir and Malvolio that makes him grumpy. Yeah, and then they humiliate Malvolio at the end to the point where he's like, "Peace, bitches." Yeah, yeah, I hate you kids. <laughs> like I'm out of here. Okay. So that's the very, in a nutshell, you know, go look it up on Wikipedia if you want more information about Twelfth Night. It's one of my favorites. 
I actually, I, I you know, I, I was, love me some Twelfth Night. I yeah, I do too. Again, it's another. I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's a couple of couples in Shakespeare that are really matched really well, and I feel like Orsino and Viola are one of them that they are. You know, and I, that 100% could be because when we did it, I had such affection for my Orsino. Like, I love that man so, so much. Martin Andrews, if you are listening, I'll Just, like, I'll be talking about you again, because there's so many things in terms of like that particular portrayal of that character that Martin did mm-hmm. that I wish had been in She's the Man. Yeah. You know? And I think so much that they kind of yeah. And I think with the exception of the fact that he's like, I know she said no, but keep trying. I think that's off the top of my head. That's kind of the only toxic masculinity part of Orsino. Like other than that, he's you know he like gets so. No, he gets like so close with Viola and they're like friends. And he's like, he's like, I'm having feelings for this eunuch and I don't know what they mean. And, you know, and it's, it's just, it's a really lovely plot line. Yeah. yeah, Martin Martin just did the most with it. Just the the most. It was so lovely. Yes. You know, and I think there was a lot about like college culture that they had to really maintain and she's the man. So there wasn't a lot of that. Like, I'm I'm attracted to this boy, right? Because they had to kind of insert this thing of like, I have now seen this person as a female and I'm attracted to them. Yes. Right. So that was just the thing that Shakespeare didn't do. It was like, you're going to be attracted to this boy and you're going to like, you're going to feel things. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to feel, you're going to feel a lot of things. So then, okay. So that brings us to she's the man. So Amanda Bynes playing the, I almost said the titular, but that's not true. Viola is not in the title. So Amanda Bynes plays Viola. She is on a soccer team. She's on the girls soccer team at her original school. When she shows up on the first day of school, she finds out that the girls soccer team has been cut her boyfriend is the goalie for the boys soccer team he is an absolute shithead he's very misogynistic towards her and all of those things so she is like okay i quit i quit this relationship i quit this school (laughs) and well no no, because she's like you know you okay boyfriend you decide if i can try out for this team yeah what does he say? He says, this conversation is finished. And then she goes, this relationship is finished. And I was like, burn. Yes. Yeah. She's got a couple of those things in there where you're like, Zing. you know what? For like a 17 year old girl, I'm not mad at this. Yeah. Um. So she goes home that day. She sees her twin. And here they are twins, her twin brother, Sebastian. Uh, very clearly parents are divorced. They are currently at their mom's house. Sebastian is like, hey, I'm going to London to play play my music. <laughs> so I'm not going to be in school for the first two weeks. And Viola's like, ooh, this gives me the perfect opportunity to pretend to be Sebastian and go to this school as Sebastian and try out for the boys soccer team there to prove that I am as good as the boys. So she does that. She There's a whole wonderful makeover montage. <laughs> of her and she has like all of her like she has two friends who are on the soccer team with her at she school has a good tribe in this in this particular yes her tribe yes. is strong yes very much so but they are in high school and she's got two friends who are on the girls soccer team with her at her high school and then just no paul yeah. who does hair <laughs> yeah I'm and looks hair 
Yeah. And like, is this looks to be the same age, but is clearly not going to school, like has a job at a salon. Yes. Are they in high school? Or are they in college? Also? No, well, they they're been... in they're in high school. Well, isn't Sebastian going to be a because he's a transfer, right? Mm-hmm. Like transfer from college to college, because then if they're twins, they're the same age. Mm-hmm. No, he's a transfer. No, that's the thing is that Sebastian is transferring to another school because he's such a fuck up because he wants to go to London and play his music. I know, he doesn't um, have priorities. <laughs> so they're like trying, you know, to like find a school and that's why they're, they're sending him away to a boarding school, even though oh, there's not no. a, t- I mean, like it's boarding and that they sleep there and then there's dorms, but like they're okay. roaming around. They you really know, are. they go to the fair, they go to Cesario's for pizza, they go so to the debutante ball. <laughs> if you're going to do a Shakespeare like retelling, those nuggets will always be like, call it Cesario's, call it the Italian restaurant Cesario's, and I am all in. I totally love that. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. So she goes to the boarding school that Sebastian was it, like, it was enrolled in. And when she gets there, again, she's dressed now as, not as Cesario, but as Sebastian. And she's got like this ridiculous little wig on. <laughs> these sideburns. And these sideburns. Oh. Um, and the eyebrows that even when she takes them off, I can't tell a difference between her eyebrow <laughs> and the, like the Sebastian eyebrow. And she finds out that her roommate is a kid named Duke Orsino. Uh, who is played by a, 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 like I said, hot off the presses, Channing Tatum. He was 26 when they filmed this. And like I said, had done, I think, a Mountain Dew commercial. Um, Good for him. I'm very proud of him. That makes me even more proud of his performance in this movie. I know, right? And apparently I found out that Amanda Bynes was the one who was like, cast this kid or this guy. And they were like, no, he's too old. And she was like, no, he's not. Like, I swear, people are going to lose their minds for him. And he has gone on to be like, I owe my career to Amanda Bynes. I know. Well, that's just like sad because Amanda Bynes hasn't done very well. Yeah, she, well, I think what I heard now that what is she? I think she's like a piercer now. Like she does piercings. I think, you know, again, she was, I think, a Disney kid or a Nickelodeon kid. uh, Got got into it very young, clearly had some struggles with some stuff. And I think that was the thing is that she was like, I'm out. Like, I'm I'm yeah. I'm gonna have ver- a couple of very public meltdowns and some very weird things, and then I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna take care of myself and I'm gonna yeah. pierce people. Um, she passed the torch and she did she did a good job. Like she yeah. picked a good person to pass it to because Channing yeah. Tatum is great. Like I think he's also pretty unproblematic as a human being generally. Is that right? Do we I all- I think so. BT Dubs. There's a third Magic Mike movie that's coming out which we have to go see. Um, yes, I'm so there. <laughs> yes. And I think I think Channing Tatum is, since uh, the person I'm about to reference is like coming back into the spotlight, I think Channing Tatum is along the lines of Brendan Fraser, like just a wonderful himbo. Like, yep. you know, easy on the eyes, very good. I think Brendan Fraser, I think as is being seen right now, because, you know, he's won a bunch of awards for the movie that he just did. 
Brendan Fraser might be a bit of a stronger actor, but what Channing Tatum does, he, he does, does it so well. well. And once he found out that he's also like a silly goose, I think that was like his bread and butter. Because like, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing sexier than like a sexy silly goose. Like, oh my god, together, it's like the best human being. Listen, listen, people of the male persuasion, if you are a hetero dude and you were trying to figure out what women want. We just want you to be a sexy, silly goose. That's it. That's it. Like the sexy part can be a total accident, but like lean into the silly goose. Yeah. And yeah. And I think Channing Tatum in this movie is like a pretty good example of how to be that sexy, silly goose. So Viola shows up dressed as Sebastian. She's roommates with Duke. She has to go through the whole thing of like trying to be a boy at this school, which at first I was like, so okay, she's going to a boy's school and it's not a boy's school. It's just a, it's a co-ed school, but apparently it's a boy's soccer team. So that's where we get well, that. The whole, the whole thing is that in two weeks, they're going to be playing the team that her boyfriend is on. Mm-hmm. So she mm-hmm. needs to be on the opposing team so she can show him yes. what's what that girls are good enough and can beat boys. Yes, you are absolutely correct. That is, in fact, the plot. So that happens. There's a lot of like near misses of, Vi- of Viola's gender being discovered. Uh, you know, right when she moves in, they find a box of tampons in her bag and she has to make up this whole thing about like, oh, you stick them up your nose for nosebleeds. Oh. Poor thing can't shower <laughs> because they have those terrible dorm showers that are just like, there's, it's just like, group showers where nobody has any privacy thank god i god i did not anybody like who wants to do that no every i don't look i any anything that i do in a bathroom i want if i could have a sink if i could have a stall around the sink where i wash my hands i would i would be fine with that as well I don't know whose idea it was to just be like, what if everybody got to see everybody's twigs and berries while they were showering at a time when everybody is like, I hate my changing body. Like, yeah ridiculous so there's a lot of that stuff what's also interesting i think too is that she goes to this school and finds that she while she is a good soccer player she's also not the best like she has to work at it a lot and she does additionally while all this is happening her mother is pushing for her to be a debutante and there's all this stuff she finds out sebastian's girlfriend Monique is also all over Viola because Sebastian is away in London playing his music and so has been ignoring Monique. (laughs) We also find out, uh, we meet, what is her name? Laura Ramsey, who plays Olivia. We find out that Duke has a huge crush on Olivia. Of course, Olivia decides to have a crush on Viola as Sebastian. And so hijinks ensue. Everything comes to a head when Sebastian comes back early from playing his music in London. In London, yeah. (laughs) And shows up in the dorm room. Oh, no, no. First things first is that he arrives on campus in a cab. This is the worst synopsis. He arrives on campus in a cab. Olivia sees him, walks up to him, kisses him, thinking that he is the Sebastian that she has known, not noticing that he has grown at least a foot and like bone structure for days now all of a sudden (laughs) we got no shoulders like all of a sudden their shoulders but whatever grabs him kisses him recites his lyrics back to him which is humiliating even if they were good i'd be like don't you 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 shut up right now (laughs) 
I would have pushed her over the curb and just ran away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. My best friend one time said we were talking about somebody writing songs for you, right? Like, you know, would you like, would you want somebody to write a song for you? And she was like, if somebody wrote a song for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to find out about it until the dude was dead. And I feel, I feel like this is a similar thing where if somebody tried to come up to me and quote a bit of writing to me, like the ick would be so immediate. Like it wouldn't be something that would be really flattering to me. I'd be like, like my boner just like shriveled up um, and died. So she does that. Duke sees Olivia kiss the real Sebastian. And then when Viola Sebastian gets back to the dorm, they have a big fight because Viola Sebastian has been supposed to be helping Duke get with Olivia. They have a big fight. Duke kicks Viola Sebastian out. And then real Sebastian ends up at the big soccer game the next day. Things are all revealed. All the couples end up together who are supposed to end up together. The terrible misogynistic boyfriend. Yeah, he cries. He can suck a fat one and hilarity ensues. So that's the basic, that's the, that's our basic plot. Okay. That took forever. Okay. So how do you feel this one holds up versus the original source material? I think they do a really good job with the the main A plot of Twelfth Night, right? Which is the lover confusion and hidden identity. Yes. And all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, there is this thing where like in the modern day, they have to kind of add this thing of the soccer game. Right. It's like this device to make everything happen, which I get and understand. But for me, it does kind of take away from the fact that like the meat of this story for me is this love triangle. Triangle. This is what I'm watching it for. Right. To make the soccer game more important. Like I don't care about the soccer game. I think it also does not help that Amanda Bynes is clearly not a soccer player. It's not good. It's so awkward to watch her run. (laughs) She's got her little T-Rex arms. It is. Yeah, it is. And, you know, good for her for doing the thing. I also read that she did a lot of training to get to the point where she was in the movie. Good for her. That is not an easy sport. But yeah, the conceit of the soccer dilemma is very clearly shoehorned in um, to do that. Yeah. And like, there's this really lovely thing about Twelfth Night where like, you know, they're up against circumstance. Like that is the thing that they continue to butt up against that keeps on like kicking them back onto their butts. And here it was like all for the soccer game, which I also just think in terms of like the gender switching. Yeah. That kind of makes it a little trite. Like the reason for doing that isn't a good enough reason. Whereas like you were talking about Viola in Twelfth Night, it is because she doesn't believe that she can survive here alone as a man, as a woman. So she has to do this yeah like the past two of it does not exist and she's the man and i think that that's probably true for a lot of stuff it's also probably true for a lot of you know productions of 12th night that have been out there but that's the thing right is that like she is a woman on her own you know we're looking at a time when she couldn't you know she couldn't have anything a woman was nothing without a man either her father or her husband so yeah the soccer idea is all very like for soccer (laughs) we're doing this all for soccer i think she even says that's how much i care about the sport mom (laughs) yeah i like i said this movie is a is a comfort watch for me i love it i will say i do struggle with amanda Bynes' performance in this movie 
And I think part of that is because I feel like everybody else is taking it super seriously. And I feel like she, for whatever reason, was uncomfortable with something. And this, let me also disclaimer, it's 100% like my projection of this. I could be absolutely wrong. But what I, like reporting what I'm seeing, I'm seeing an actor who it feels like she's very uncomfortable with some element of this. And she relies heavily on sarcasm and like irreverent, like she, she, like, like she just has this thing. Like, that's how much soccer means to me. But then like, she's not great at being a guy. Like, it's all very, it's all very like. The voice that she uses as Sebastian, (laughs) I forgot about it for one. And then the first time I heard it two nights ago, I was like, this is the funniest thing. (laughs) Because this doesn't even sound like a person. No. Not even like a portrayal of like a guy. You're so like far removed from that attempt that like, I don't know, there's an accent. It's a weird, like, I'm like, I don't know if you're trying to do, and this is, I will, I will, I will say this. I'll be a little snobbish here. And the same is true, I think, for when you see men playing women, that it is the most surface level, non-curious portrayal of like very stereotypical identifiers of gender. So it's like if a guy is playing a girl, you know, they're going to raise their voice an octave and they're going to be squeaky and there's going to be like a lot of flouncing and that kind of stuff. And if a woman is playing a man, the voice drops and suddenly uh, the man like all men are very like stupid like there's like a neanderthal quality to them which again is one of the things that i think is really interesting about 12th night is that viola is so good at playing cesario that you know it is not until it is revealed in the play that she is a woman that that information comes out the audience knows it because we you know the audience has seen the whole thing but everybody else is like oh shit I thought that this was, you know, this eunuch that was hanging around. Yeah. I have to sort of like go a little cross-eyed and not pay too much attention. The edges blur because otherwise, yeah, it can be really unwatchable. And only because it is this thing of like, there's not a single, like, I can't believe that there's a single person in this world that is not immediately curious about everything. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and not just because you're like weird, but it's because you're barely, you are like wearing a skin suit and kind of like <laughs> an alien in a skin suit. Like there's just no way that you are who you say you are. And I do love the fact that it's David Cross. Oh my God. Who's so good. Who's <laughs> like, but is just trying to like buddy up, you know, like, I just want to understand this weird human that has dropped into my, my school. In, right. Into my world now. Uh, like, what is this? who like what is this space alien that's like at my school now you know and i i appreciate it i appreciate that in the movie because i think everybody else is taking it so seriously that it actually allows the rest of the cast to spend a lot of time going what's wrong with you like what's your deal that it's like you know it's a question that is asked at least it's not like they're like oh here is this guy who is very clearly a dude yeah <laughs> you know and like no, no questions like, no, this is a weird person right and i think that's kind of their default of like we want nothing to do with this person yes 
first off, we just have no idea what's going on here. And yeah. they're also like kind of weird. They're just yes. so and also yeah and i think it is kind of the thing that you're saying where it's like that's not how guys talk and the guys in the life are like we don't talk about people that way we're not like broseph and like always trying to make up handshakes and all of that's not what we're doing we're like human beings we're just trying to relate to each other like stop yeah stop being a weirdo what's wrong with you yeah i think but i at the end of the day i think she's the man is a very like is a very fun movie and i think it might be a more successful high school movie version of a Shakespeare play than I think 10 Things I Hate About You is. I agree. I think, I think as well. I, I think they do a really good job because like, you know, the one thing about Twelfth Night that I've always been like, ugh, is Malvolio. Like, what did he do? Because they, they humiliate. They him. humiliate they, Malvolio. What do they do? They like trick him into thinking that somebody's in love with they him. They trick then- him into thinking Olivia is in love with him. And not only that, that she sends him a letter that's like, show up in these like yellow cross garters. So he does. And then everybody's like, what's wrong with you, weirdo pervert? And he leaves. He's like, fuck off. Yeah. It's like, this is not nice. Yeah, he is. He is. And they do have like the parallel characters, like that dorm RA guy. Mm -hmm. I don't know his name in the movie, but he has the spider named Malvolio which I also like love I love again yes nice little bits and they do a really good job because like Melvolio in Twelfth Night he's not like heinous he's not like a Yago who's like trying to stir shit up he's just like a rule follower he just wants to keep order he's just like his main beef is with Toby Andrew and Mariah and it's basically because that he's like could you all like contribute in some way yeah can you like not drink after 10 (laughs) o'clock yeah like or like 10 o'clock in the morning like could you not be drunks could you can like contribute to society in some way and then those three are like you know what fuck this guy let's humiliate him yeah terrible which sucks and i do like that in this movie they're like well if we're gonna have this character yes he's a rule follower but he's also a creep yeah he's he's a he's a creepy dude <laughs> well because like he's in love with he's olivia. stalking olivia no, he's when stalking he's stalking he starts stalking. singing he's like i see you through your window <laughs> and she's like and she's like okay yeah unacceptable unacceptable yeah <laughs> but yeah like it, it it yeah he's he's a problem but yeah in because in 12th night it's a thing of like they write letters back and forth right or they they pretend yes. that it's olivia writing letters to malvolio there's letters and everywhere of course it's, it's a shakespeare play cool. people are like yeah. malvolio's the bad guy and i'm like no 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 andrew toby and mariah are the bad people yeah, bad people and you know everybody's just sort of like Huzzah! At the end, while Malvolio is like, I'm leaving. I hate you people. (laughs) Yeah. That he does sing her that song. He's like, I have lyrics too, right? Because she's like, oh man, these are your lyrics, man. Oh my God. They're like so good. And he's like, I have lyrics too. Yeah. And then it is. It's a stalker. It's a very like every move you make type of song. It he I mean he does. He literally says, I see you through your window, which is like nobody, nobody likes that. As as much as movies have tried to make us believe that a woman loves being stalked and watched and peeped, hot tip, fellas. We don't like that. We don't like it. It makes us feel unsafe. Yeah. There is so there's like this is an Amelia deep cut but when they are at the little carnival and Uh this is another thing where viola is having to like viola 
yeah, Viola and Sebastian are both supposed supposed to be at this carnival. And so she is having to quick change her way through this thing. And everybody is there. Duke is there. Olivia is there. Her mom, her mom is, there. is there. Monique is there. Her ex-boyfriend is there. Oh like, gosh. Yes. Um, and when she's like does the five second things and she I don't even remember what she says but she does the whole like you suck or whatever (laughs) (laughs) which is again a nice fun like teenage bit of stuff but she ends up having to work the kissing booth she relieves Olivia from working the kissing booth right as Duke Orsino is about to get his kiss with Olivia right uh and they end up having to kiss and they have this like magical kiss which is hilarious and like in and of itself but there was always a part where I was like I don't know man that's kind of hot which is where Viola and Duke kiss and then he's like, okay, I think like, I think I had my, my like minute of kissing. And she's like, no, 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 just, we can do a little bit more. And they start kissing. And that's when the ex-boyfriend comes and pulls them apart. And Channing Tatum has this great look where he's sort of like, like he's, he's, I don't want to say mad, but he's like, you just interrupted like a really good kiss. And I was like, that's like, I feel like that's some female gaze stuff. Right. Which I think is, is actually a thing that Channing Tatum gets very well. I think that he is like, I understand what women find sexy. I'm not saying that he's universally sexy, but I think that he is like, I think he has a decent handle on what women find sexy and the amount of, I guess, like desire that he is feeling at that moment. I was always just like, it's some nice little bit of acting right there. Good yeah, on you. He does, he does a lot of things like that. Like he's just very sweet <laughs> in this movie. He is. I, I, he's just, yeah, it's just very sweet to watch him. But yeah. There is, and, uh, you know, and I think there's this thing that they added into the movie because there's like twin tropes too, right? Like anytime mm-hmm. there are twins in a movie or in a show, they're going to eventually do this thing where they either swap places or they have to be both at the same time. Yeah. That doesn't exist because Sebastian's not there for Twelfth Night. Like he's shipwrecked elsewhere, somewhere on this island. And it's right. not until the very end that we get to see them both together and everything kind of comes to a head. But in this world of She's the Man, like they both exist. Yeah. Two people, you know, like people are aware of both of them. So that thing kind of has to happen. But yeah, I guess that's like the, the one thing that I'm upset in the retelling of this is there is this moment where Duke Orsino gets to interact with Viola and that's his attraction to Sebastian. Like, you know, and that's just like making it really hetero. Like really making sure that there's not ever the assumption that Duke Orsino in this movie is ever perceived as anything other than completely straight. Right. I think that's some of what makes Twelfth Night so lovely is like this Duke Orsino, like he could probably have anybody he wants. He does pine for Olivia, but then he looks at Cesario and is like, there is something about you. Yeah. And while it's confusing for me, I am intrigued by it. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah, I'm not like, repulsed by it and as a matter of fact like I keep seeking times to be with you um which is very lovely I did a month-long intensive at Shakespeare and Company in 2004 I think and one of my like favorite bits of this it was uh god I think we were is this right I think it was it was like 12 to 14 hours of like Shakespeare a day and we learned a whole bunch of stuff. We learned about text. We learned uh, some history. We learned stage combat. Uh, but one of the one of my favorite sections of it was we learned Elizabethan dances. Yeah. And one, the dances were just like super fun to learn. But at some point, they did a thing where the instructors picked Shakespeare 
pairings. So it was like Antony and Cleopatra, Romeo and Juliet. And one of them, two of them were like, they were two of my favorite instructors. They chose Orsino and Cesario. Nice. And they did a they did a dance that was traditionally meant for a man and a woman. And like the sexual tension that they allowed themselves <laughs> to have in this dance and like the confusion, but also the like, you know, the gravitational pull that Orsino was feeling towards the woman playing Cesario slash Viola. Like it was just one of those things where I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, that is a huge part of this play yeah. is that it is this thing of like, I am, am this is new. <laughs> supposedly, yeah, supposedly straight, supposedly hetero. And yet, like you said, there is something that I like cannot stay away from. I don't want to stay away from it. And so it feels like at the end, when you get to the end of Twelfth Night, the fact that Cesario is actually Viola is like a cherry on top because it's like that. I mean, there's not like what, and you were lying, and there was the, it was like, like yeah, yes, like perfect because yes. I, you, you've been hot the entire time. <laughs> I have wanted you the, the entire, entire time. Do you yeah. think in the like, let's go non-canon here, but do you think in the aftermath of Twelfth Night, do you think that Orsino was ever like Viola? Do you still have that? Like, do you have a little, little like? Camp? Can we like, yeah? Can we role play? <laughs> I hope so. I hope, I hope so too. Like, I just need to know. Well, because yeah. I think there's also this thing. And, and again, like to really just dote on Martin Andrews, like <laughs> the way that when you, when you were his Viola, when we Bart crawled 12th night. Yes. <laughs> six years ago. Jeez Louise. It's crazy. God. Six years ago. There was no judgment of Duke Orsino's feelings for Cesario. And that's, I think, something that'd be very easy to put in even to the Shakespeare version of this yeah. of being like skeeved out by it or like internal judgment or having a moment where it's like, I get to now uh, provide commentary on these feelings instead of just feeling them. And Martin did mm -hmm. such a wonderful job with this character where it was like, no, I'm just going to feel these feelings. Yeah. Like, after Viola is like, what women want and all you're really talking about is what you want but if you do this for olivia and you're like giving him all these tips on how to woo olivia and you mm -hmm. just do this beautiful monologue about like what women really want from from anybody from mm -hmm. anything this is what love is and then he listens and he leans in and he like i think he almost kisses you and he's like yeah <laughs> I, I hear i hear all of that i hear everything yeah. you just said. and then you leave i say you because you were viola but viola right. leaves. and duke orsino's like just watches just yeah and it's just like this really lovely moment and i feel like those are the things in shakespeare that when they're overlooked or taken away that's when shakespeare doesn't make sense and that's when it's not interesting to watch yeah and i think i think what happens sometimes with that play as well is that it's not until the end that Viola, like Cesario's true identity as Viola is revealed that Orsino's like, oh my gosh, now I can be in love with you. You know what I mean? I think that a lot of versions play it where he's just sort of like, here's my chum Cesario and like, what pals we are. And I think that one of the things that makes the story actually really interesting is when the actor playing Orsino allows himself to be very drawn to Cesario. And, you know, it's also like a lovely little message. I think there's so much and so there's so much in so many of Shakespeare's plays where I think the very easy choice is to be like, this person is in love with this person because they are pretty. 
You know what I mean? And I think I think it happens in Romeo and Juliet. I think it happens in, I think it can happen in Twelfth Night. I think it happens in, um, I think it, it, you know, you can play it that way in Midsummer. that it's like, Hermia is lovely. And that's why everybody's really in love with her. And it's like, but what I love about Twelfth Night is that it is this thing that it's like, no, this is somebody who like, Yeah, these two like souls fell in love with each other. You know, I think I think the same is true about Much Ado. I think it's two people who love each other despite all of the things. Well, because in Much Ado, they're like really shitty to each other. But like in like a we can hold court with each other. Like we're we're able to like throw the ball back and forth because you can take it and I can dish it. And we have yeah, that's kind of the basis of how we. Yeah, they're very that's a very equal pairing. Yeah. And I think the same is true for Twelfth Night, that it's very like, yeah, it's it's so like I said, it's like it's a cherry on top that Cesario is revealed to be Viola. But I don't know. I, I never happened. I think Duke Orsino would have been like Cesario <laughs> to my chambers. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. right? Like there'd be some weird act six where like say Sebastian did die in that shipwreck and yeah. like, whatever. You know, like there's nothing in the writing where Do you think Cesario, Viola, and Olivia would have or I'm sorry, Orsino, Viola, and Olivia would have become a thruple? Because clearly Olivia is like yeah. I'm in this for I'm in this for Cesario. Yeah. But I, I feel think- like, I feel like Olivia is more, she's more like, oh no, I'm out. Like, yeah. I feel like Olivia is very much like, I like the look of this little. Yeah. Man. And also there's this thing, and I think they do a good job of that. And she's the man where like Olivia falls for Sebastian Viola because Sebastian Viola has all of those like sensitive tendencies, like all of the things that like most guys don't have. Yeah. Like, Olivia says, Olivia's like, you're like the only guy here who hasn't hit on me. Yeah. Which is, you know, a welcome change, I think, for her that she's like, oh, this is somebody who might actually see me. Yeah. And I think it is because they and because no, I don't think they would ever be a throuple because I think <laughs> like you're saying, Duke Orsino only likes Olivia because she's pretty. It's one of those things that it's like from a distance, like this makes sense. But the closer he gets to her, the less so like it doesn't yeah. Like which I that soul thing. Right, which I do think is interestingly interestingly illustrated in She's the Man when Olivia and Orsino end up on a date together. Yeah, and they're and like she's texting and he's like <laughs> drumming on the table or <laughs> whatever. He's like, so there's nothing else going on. Yeah. And yeah. then Sebastian Viola shows up and then she's like making out with him or whatever just to make him jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I like to think about that. Like what happens to these couples in the ever after? Clearly we know Romeo and Juliet, RIP. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. RIP, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I think Orsino and Viola are still kicking it because they were I friends think, first. Yeah, I think they're still, I think, you know, I they probably have like maybe weekly dinners with Olivia and Sebastian and, you know, they do this. <laughs> Danielle is nobody can see this, but Danielle is currently dealing with her cat right now. <laughs> Who like wanted to just meow into the microphone. So if you hear that, that's what Yeah, that his tail was crazy. his and trying to get his tail up your nose as well, yeah. it seemed like like was just like oh, um it's it's a it's a risk of having a pet and being a podcaster um I'm you know I can't tell you how many times when we're doing this Scotty has to be like hold because he's got to let Bowie out or sometimes Donia is just like I just feel like walking around right on the wood and the tile so you can hear her yeah. little claws like t- and you know I'm set up right here by her food bowls too so some she's like oh I haven't had a drink of water let me come and drink all of the water I'm right into the mic the thirstiest I have ever been <laughs> yeah. yeah in in Pinion's defense he's 
doing all right. He's he's doing really well. He's doing really well. He hasn't like it doesn't look like he's like tried to step on the computer or anything. No, yet. Yeah. Knock on wood. Awesome. Okay, so we feel like I think we agree that she's the man is the stronger teen yeah. movie Shakespeare I, adaptation. I will rewatch this one, and I think it also does a really good job of being like, oh, Shakespeare's confusing. What she's the man is that plot confusing to you? Because like describing you it, it, yes, it's one of those things that it's like you know double identities, blah blah blah. Viola, who's actually Sebastian, blah 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 blah. Like all right. of that sounds confusing, but if you can follow she's the man you can follow some of the most complex shakespeare plots yes they're done yes. well Again, they're done they're well. well oh we talked about this at the beginning uh, additionally at the soccer game there's a point where the actual sebastian is playing in the first half and david cross and the malvolio character and sebastian's ex-girlfriend walk onto the field <laughs> to be like stop that's actually a girl. Sebastian pulls down his pants to reveal his twig and berries um, yes. and show that he is, in fact, a dude. And then in the second half, Orsino, uh, Viola comes back as Sebastian to play the second half, which, again, you haven't noticed that your teammate has shrunk is like a it's good like a balloon. Yeah, is like a good 30 to 50 pounds lighter. They did a good job at casting, I think, in face, like yeah. general like face look. Yeah. It's just a really hard thing to pull off. Yes. Uh, there's a, I mean, you know, as always, suspension of disbelief. Yeah. But so in the second half, when Viola comes back as Sebastian, her and Duke get into a fight. Olivia also shows up and Viola has to prove that she is a girl. And she does so by lifting up her shirt in front of the entire, both, both schools and yeah. teams. And apparently is also playing without a bra. Yeah. Because she just lifts the jersey up. Yep. Uh, and is like, here I am free balling during a soccer game. Free balling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, her parents are also in the audience and they're like, yeah. that like, just happened. Why not? Yeah. Why, right. Because remove the wig, doesn't she? Yeah. And he, and I think he's like, and I think he even, that's the thing is that it's very shoehorned in again because he's like, having long hair doesn't mean that you're like really a girl. And that's what she's like, oh, really? And she lifts up her shirt and it's like, I mean, she's clearly a child. Yeah, she's clearly, she's clearly, she's clearly a chick at this point. Yeah, they do a real, oh, what is it? Is it one of the guys? I think that's the name of the movie. Hold on, let me look it up. Uh, But that was an 80s movie that came out that is, I don't know if it was actually like touted as being a, like based on Twelfth Night, but a similar thing, a girl, she's a journalist. Uh, She's like, she works on the school's newspaper and they're like, "Uh, you can't write write these like hard hitting pieces because you're a girl. We need you to write about makeup and stuff. So she transfers to another school meets a guy falls in love with him he's in love with another so it's like essentially the same plot and again at prom she has to be like i'm a girl and i'm in love with you and he's like what are you talking about and she like she they're there at prom so she like rips open her tuxedo shirt again because it's the 80s they showed her boobs and she's also not wearing a bra or a binder or anything because even in she's the man the first part of like the reveal coming from viola who's been sebastian for the last two weeks the first thing she says is what you have to know is that I'm in love with you. And I'm like, that's not real. You know how confused everybody is. (laughs) Like, let's- Yeah, bitch, why why was that the first thing? Why Why was the first thing not? Okay, so I used to go to this other school. Yeah. (laughs) Like, let's start from the beginning. Start from the beginning, not- Hey, I think about kissing you all the time <laughs> when I'm lying in the twin bed a mere three feet away from you in our dorm room. All I've done is pine for you. And he's like, 
dude <laughs> like let's not make it awkward like, yes or let's make it very awkward yeah 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 and I think that's the one thing again if there's like a criticism I think she's the man does rely on some sort of like homophobia type of stuff, which again, it came out in 2006. And I guess that was like, you know, it's the same thing with friends we've talked about. Like the the boys are real like, like no homo. And it's like, we get it. Nobody's gay here. Like in a, it's fine. You're fine. Nobody yeah, we know you love to bang chicks and yeah. stuff. Like we get you're it. We're really good at it. We know. <laughs> whatever so if uh and i think like let's let's wrap it up with this if you could handpick another shakespeare play to make a teen movie from what might you choose understanding that we've got okay we've got taming of the shrew we've got 12th night we had O, right? Yes. Uh, which was a fellow. Oh, yes, Mackay Pfeiffer chokes the shit out of who? What is, who played? Is it Julia Stiles? I think it's Julia Stiles. He, yeah, he chokes the I remember that. I was like, oh my God. Oh, my <laughs> And then I'm trying to think, I don't know if there are any others. There might, we might be missing some, but yeah, if you could. The only three that I, I haven't watched O in a minute. Oh my gosh. I think I've only seen that one time too. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah. He, yeah, he chokes the shit out of her. Um, yeah, that's just a fascinating one. And also, yeah, I would like to see how they handle like the theme of race. Mm -hmm. Cause one was O. Let me look it up. Yes, I can too. Um, I would also, I mean, this is sort of just true along the lines of all like, you know, whether it's a teen movie retelling or uh, just a general production, but I would, I think there's also, again, I think it's very easy to be like, here's the theme of the play and to like not dig any deeper into that. I would also like some stuff having to do with Othello to dig beyond the very obvious and 100% and very present theme of racism, but there's a lot more to that play than just that. Yeah. Uh, so I would be interested to see if anything else could like dig deeper into that. Okay. All right. Ooh, we got to scroll back a bit. Yeah. Okay. So while I'm scrolling, you look, you think of what you would like to see. 2001 is when O came out. Okay. So like right in between the two we just talked about. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I might give that one a rewatch. So I think I only saw that once and I remember being like, that was hard to watch, but yeah. maybe just for other reasons. I'm not sure. Okay. I mean, I, I think Much Ado would be fun. Much Ado. Is it fun? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. I not well either, but like Beatrice and Benedict, like they're, to me, they're really fun. They dynamic are. Dynamic to watch. They are. They're and it just fun. feels like there's no stupid people in that play. Like, it, it, I think like any remaking would be hard pressed to like dumb them down, which I yeah. think uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. I don't know how Bianca is in Taming, but man, she just seems really like thin like mm. her experience seems really thin in 10 things i hate about you yes um so yeah i think it would be i would i would love to see a much ado yeah much ado would be good i think you'd i think it would be interesting to see how they'd work the b plot of much ado or if they'd kind of like they did with she's the man kind of be like There's you know <laughs> It's just a story about these lovely, smart-ass yeah. teens. Hold on. I'm going to look. I'm going to – I just need the the canon list in front of me. I feel like you can't really do a teen movie of Romeo and Juliet because it already is a teen movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you could modernize it, sure, but I feel like – it is what it is. Um, okay, hold on. Uh, okay, we've got Love's all's well labors. that ends well. Let's do Love's Labors just so we can understand. We did that show and – 
still I'm not 100% sure. We were just talking about this the other night. I, yeah, I was trying, I was thinking back to when we did Love's Labors for Bard Crawl and I was like, what was that play about? Although it's nice, you know, you have like, you know, we ended up cutting characters, but there's a sort of, there could be a sort of like pink ladies, T-birds aspect to it. Not that you'd have to set it in like a Grease type of universe, but it's like, you know, a girl gang, boys gang, and that whole thing. Uh, you've got All's Well, which I don't think All's Well would work as a teen movie. I don't think All's Well works as a... As a play. Like, um, that's one that I think should not be done anymore. It's tough. It's hard. So... Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think all's well works. We've got as you like it. I think as you like it. I think you could do it with as you like it. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Rosalind? Yes. Rosalind? Yeah. Yeah. Comedy of errors. Uh, I don't think that would work. Uh, and then you've got, so, you know, you've got stuff like measure for measure, which is, it's a comedy, but it's not a comedy. Is that Shylock? No, that is. Merchant of yes, Merchant of Venice is that one. Measure for Measure is who will believe thee, Isabel. It is the oh. she's the nun, and okay. she. I mean, you could. It would just be really dark, I guess. It wouldn't be a con. It's not like a teen con. It'd be, I think, more along the lines of O. Oh. You maybe you could do Merry Wives. Oh, Merry Wives. Yeah, you could maybe do something like that. Mm, I don't know that you get any mileage out of doing Midsummer as a teen I mean, there movie are drugs in high school. I mean, yes, there are drugs. <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, we get into Much Ado, Taming, Tempest, Twelfth Night, which we've already decided works, Two Gentlemen of Verona, Winter's Tale, which is also, that's one of those ones that it's like yeah. a comedy, huh? Um, you could, again, along the lines of O, you could maybe do an interesting Mackers as a t- it'd be dark. It would be really dark. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it'd be really dark. Yeah. But set it up kind of, I don't know, in like Gossip Girl, New York type of thing. Ooh. Maybe you could do that. Just have to destroy each other. Yeah. yeah. That's I rough. I would watch that though. I would watch it. Yeah. <laughs> totally watch it. Danielle, would, Danielle says yes. She would watch that. Okay. All right. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of A Weirdest Thing (laughs) podcast. And hello to, thank you, Pinon, also for joining us. um all right guys we hope you enjoyed this episode um scotty will be back soon but it's always lovely to have danielle here and yeah hopefully you know like i said scotty will be back soon again i feel like i can't say that without being like but you were great to have you were great to have oh you know. no I'm, and i'm like yeah scotty will be back soon this yes. is his podcast. yes yes <laughs> i'm like i hope he's not i hope he's not that <laughs> asshole um with his creepy so stories yeah i um, can't wait yay awesome uh And in the meantime, stay weird, stay curious, and we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs>